when you're looking at the actual sales comps, make sure that they are in similar shape to how the property is currently. Or if they aren't, if they're in better shape, realize that that's not a good enough sales comp. You need to find a property that is similar to how the property is now. Best ever listeners, I'm so excited to share today's sponsor with you. It's Eastern Union Funding and Arbor Realty Trust. If you're in the multifamily space, you likely recognize these names, but have you used them? Uh, I'm guessing if you haven't, then you probably know someone who has. I can tell you personally, we have used uh, Mark Belsky. He is a point person at Eastern Union Funding as a partner with us, and he has helped us secure debt uh, for actually a deal we closed on this month. And we've worked with him. Um, In addition, my clients, my program, my consulting program have worked with him to successfully close on deals. When we were starting out, Ashcroft was starting out, we had somewhat of a track record, but we weren't fully as established with our investor network. I went to him and we secured some equity, $500,000 in equity to fund one of our deals. While he works with more institutional partners, he's brought $200 million in equity over the last 12 months. He was able to help us out there and we built a relationship with him and Eastern Union Funding ever since. So if you need equity for your deal and you have a track record, then he's your point person. His number is 212-897-9875. If you need debt, then he partners up with Arbor on a lot of transactions. So if you're a multifamily borrower who wants agency or bridge debt, then that's the team to work with. Uh, We have worked with their team, both Eastern Union and Arbor, on deals. And people who have purchased our deals, purchased deals from us, have used Arbor, as well as my clients in my consulting program, they've used it. So this is a recommendation that comes from firsthand experience. And the last thing I'll say about uh, working with Mark Belsky at Eastern Union is that if you need a loan guarantor, but don't have that track record quite yet, then Mark can look at what you've, the deal you've got And assuming it checks out, he can make introductions to people he knows as potential loan guarantors for your deal. So debt, equity, and potentially loan guarantors. Uh, All you need, well, you need to find a deal, obviously. Um, But besides that, you know, the other main components of the deal they can help you out with. So talk to Mark Belsky. His email is mbelsky at easterneq.com and his phone number 212-897-9875. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff. And we got follow along Friday. We've got some updates from Theo and myself. And these are updates as it relates to what we've learned so that we can apply those lessons to real estate investing and hopefully help you out and make your journey a little bit smoother and a little bit more profitable. So how do we want to start it out today? So I'll start. As I mentioned last week, I was going to visit a potential property that I've been underwriting in person and visit the comps. And so I want to just kind of talk about kind of my thought process behind approaching it and what I did when I was there and then what I plan on doing moving forward. Mm -hmm. So people can kind of pull some things from that and apply it to their business when they're visiting potential properties. So this is my second or third property I'm looking at. 
this is the second time I've looked at the property and all the comps. The first time I looked at all the comps first and then the actual subject property. This time I did the reverse. I started at the subject property. And my idea was to look at the comps and say, okay, so when I'm taking my notes for each one, say, what do I have to do to the subject property to make it look like this? So that way, when I go back, I can look at the rents of the comp and be like, okay, it's going to cost me whatever to this property. And I'll be able to raise a rent by this many dollars per square foot. That's what I did. Went to the property. It's a 292 unit deal. Very, very, very close to the University of Southern Florida, less than a mile away. Charlie and Strong. It actually used to be, wait, what did you say? Charlie Strong? What is that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I knew you said yeah, but you didn't know what I said. Uh, the football coach for the Bulls. So. Okay. So the property itself is very interesting because it used to be three separate apartments and then a company bought them all up and then kind of made them look the exact same. So there's kind of three of everything. So there's three pools. There's three dog park areas. Three pools for 300 units. Yeah, because it used to be three different properties. So each property has its own pool. Okay, right, right. So that was one thing that was interesting and is going to make it a little bit more of a costly on an ongoing basis and one pool year they'll update three pools. Well, you wouldn't keep all three, right? Yeah, we'd get rid of at least one. Yeah. So the current owners had initiated a value add of 10% of the units and they did premium upgrades. So they did like granite countertops, new floors, new vanities in the bathroom, very nice looking units. But the problem is that the market itself is pretty low income. So the median income in the market is $29,000. Is it walking distance to campus? It's technically within walking distance, but the crime rate is so high that I don't think many people are walking that far into this market. I didn't know that. What's the town that South Florida, University of South Florida is in? I think it's in Temple Terrace. Temple Terrace. Okay. So you're driving to the property from where we live and you drive by the campus. The campus is obviously very, very nice. And then on the left side, there's pretty nice retail, mm-hmm. but then you continue on. And then once you get to the end of campus, like that next road over is not a good area at all. And the further you go, the worse it gets. And so the subject properties, right when you enter this kind of bad area, and then all the comps were further in. So when we first looked at the subject property, like, oh, this is a really nice looking property. The area is a little bit sketchy, but we drove in, there was new development apartments. There's a new apartment. I thought it was new, but I guess they just did a bunch of upgrades on the corner. But then all the comps were further in and it was like super uncomfortable driving them just because of the area, but people that are walking around. So that was something that was very concerning. And that combined with the median income makes us concerned about how high we can actually raise the rents. So that was one main concern. Another concern we had is we know how much they want to sell it for, which I know that's not what we're going to base our purchase price on. We just have an understanding of, okay, we need to be close to this number for them to entertain the offer. But it looks like they based the price off of Fully renovated. Yeah, well, fully renovated building. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So all the sales comps that they have were, like, were all properties <laughs> they looked at and they're all done already. I was confused. And so the seller's expecting about $80,000 per door. But that's, again, based off of the property being upgraded already. So Which you would have to do. Crazy. Exactly. Yeah. So the market leader is at $1.35 per square foot in rent. And the subject property is $1.11 per square foot. But for this market leader, the exteriors were in perfect shape. Mm-hmm. Whereas for this property, there was a lot going on. It seemed like almost everything needed to be addressed in some form or fashion. The fence around the entire property needed to be replaced, which is going to be a pretty hefty expense. You have to remove one of the pools. It's one of those garden style properties that have the two stories. And it's got this, the doors up front. And so you kind of walk up the stairs on the outside to get up to the second floor. And there's railings going across. 
and all those are in horrible shape and need to be replaced. Half the roofs need to be replaced. Over 75% of the HVAC would need to be replaced. You need to do all new landscaping. You need to rebrand the property. So there's a lot going on. And if they're trying to sell it at a price that's based off of all that work being done, it's going to be impossible for the numbers to make sense. Is it in the bidding process right now? The call to offers is in three weeks. Okay. What's happened with us before is we've had a seller give a whisper price to us via a broker. So the broker had the listing but hadn't gone to market yet. Mm -hmm. And we said, no, thank you. Why don't you take that to market and see what you can get for it? Because the price that you have right now in your mind, in our opinion, is not the market value for it. They were way higher than what it should have been. And lo and behold, they went to market and we're going to buy it for actually less than the price than we originally had discussed. So they might have a price now in mind that 80K door, but when they get in offers, the market will dictate what the true value is. And then you might be able to get the property at the actual valuation versus paying the premium for it. That's what I'm thinking too. And again, I don't have experience buying an actual property and understanding, okay, so I'm talking to a broker. Here's what they said beforehand, but here's what actually happened. But just from like the feeling I've gotten from talking to the broker, I feel like that's probably what's going to happen. So this is last week. He's like, oh, we're at the call to offers in the next week. I'm like, oh, okay, well, I need to make sure we see this tour of this property pretty soon. So I was supposed to go visit the property uh, on Tuesday or yesterday and he had to reschedule. I was like, okay, I'm like, when are the call to offer again? He was like, oh, we're, calls to offer probably be in like three weeks. And then when I was talking to the leasing consultant, she was saying how people had toured the property before. But when I was talking to the broker, it made it seem like people really weren't. And the way he was talking to me was make this deal work. We'll get another property, we'll visit it, and then we'll you know, make this deal work for you. And that was interesting. And I was like, okay, well, now I don't have to worry about being anxious about submitting an offer at my price, even though he already told me he wants 23.5, I'd not have a problem submitting an offer you know, multiple millions below that. What percent of the units have been renovated? 10% have the premium upgrades. 4% have minor touch-ups new lights and new fixtures and then they might be slow playing a little bit just to get more premium upgrades in there and continue to prove the business model and try and get that valuation yeah definitely it's basically fully occupied mm-hmm. only a handful of vacant units they definitely could be doing that because their premium units look exactly like the market leaders units except for the stainless steel appliances yeah I mean, they're projecting rents lower than the market leader which is a good thing to see i didn't yeah. want them to project rents higher than them yeah, they could totally be doing that, but half the units had not been touched yet. 20 units have Section 8, and in general, it's a low-income area, and so I need to do a lot more investigations into whether or not this market can support those types of rents. And if not, then we're not going to do premium upgrades just yet because it won't make any sense. Yep. Sounds like the two variables, one, price, and two, verifying the strength of the submarket as it relates to you getting the rents or not. So overall, the two lessons I learned is when you're visiting properties, visit the property first and then the comp second. And then ask yourself, what do I have to do to the subject property to make it look like this comp? So that when you go back home and do your investigations into the rents, you can tell yourself, okay, I'm going to have to do this to the subject property in order to get X rent. And then you can put that in your calculator. And the second, when you're looking at the actual sales comps, make sure that they are 
in similar shape to how the property is currently, or if they aren't, if they're in better shape, realize that that's not a good enough sales comp. You need to find a property that is similar to how the property is now, because that's how you're buying it right now. You're not going to buy the property at what it's going to be like when you're done with it. And that's tough to tell if you or a team member are not visiting the property and the comps. So this reinforces a point for having a local person there if you're not there visiting all these properties. Yep. So right now I am scheduled to do a formal tour on Tuesday. So I'll be able to talk about that next week. And my goal for that tour is to obviously look at the interiors, but mostly to gain a much better understanding of what the exterior renovations are going to cost. So I made a little spreadsheet and I listed off every single exterior item that I saw while I was there. Mm-hmm. And then from the OM as well. And I got a little section to make notes on his conditions and what I think I would need to do in order to upgrade that. And the plan is to have my business partner and my property management company come with me as well. That's what I was going to ask. I was going to ask if you felt confident in your abilities to assess that, but you answered my question. I see that question coming in your eyes. (laughs) I answered it. (laughs) You got skills, just didn't know how honed those skills were and how much you wanted to rely on them exclusively versus Mm -hmm. bringing in property management company. Okay, cool. And then one last thing before we pass it on to you. So I mentioned how I wanted to visit my property management company's properties. And when I reached out to them, they wanted to contact the regional manager first to reach out to the owners to make sure that they're okay with me coming to their property and then to set up tours, which I'm still going to do once that happens, which I'm not sure when that's going to happen. But I was randomly going through their marketing package because I might've been writing a blog and looking at all the types of fees that property management companies will charge. And when I was going through there, I realized that they have a list of 10 properties they manage that are in there. Mm-hmm. And so there aren't any addresses, but they have the property name. So I can easily find that online. So this weekend, I'm going to visit those properties in that marketing package they sent me. Mm-hmm. And I'm not exactly sure what I'm going to do right now. I'll know going in and then I'll talk about my approach next week and how that went. Cool. Yeah. Looking forward to that. Great stuff. Great on the ground learnings. That's mm-hmm. for sure. Well, I made it a point this week to write down some things that I was learning throughout the week. That way I could come to this conversation with some good info. And well, you'll be the judge, everyone listening, if it's good info or not. But some things that I noticed and learned. One, holy cow, Men Who Made America on the History Channel, and I watched it through Amazon Prime. If you have not seen that and you're a real estate entrepreneur, which is everyone listening to this podcast right now, tonight, go to Amazon Prime or however you find this series and watch Men Who Made America. Have you seen it, Theo? I haven't, no. Oh, man. You're missing out and you won't miss out because you'll go watch it tonight because it goes through in a linear fashion how America was made through the skill sets and entrepreneurial efforts of a handful of men. Now, obviously, men and women were involved in Make America, but this show just focuses on five or six men. And I've only gotten to, let's see, Vanderbilt. And then from Vanderbilt, it was Rockefeller. And then from Rockefeller, now it's Carnegie. And some of them overlap a little bit. And now we'll go into others in future episodes. But the reason why it's so valuable is to watch the different challenges that each of them had to come across and how most of them 
came from nothing. I mean, Carnegie did an apprenticeship with someone at the age of 12 and he missed out on school and everything else because he had to put food on the table for his family. JP Morgan actually did not come from nothing. His dad was well off, but JP Morgan betted all on Thomas Edison and how he was conducting electricity and his father didn't approve of that. And JP Morgan went all in on it and eventually ended up founding General Electric. And Vanderbilt just started with a loan for like a hundred bucks to buy a ship. And then he got a fleet of ships and then he ended up going all in on railroads and things didn't turn out too well for him at the very end because of Rockefeller and some deals that he made. But my jaw is open watching this show. That's how impressed I am because of the way they pivot. It's inspiring to watch how they got to where they're at in terms of their beginnings, but it's more interesting to me to watch how they pivot when they need to pivot. When Carnegie made a terrible hire for his business, arguably speaking, for his business, it might have worked, but for livelihood of others, it did not. And if you watch it, you'll learn more. But it's a fascinating, fascinating show. So watch Men Who Made America by the History Channel, which is on Amazon Prime. That's number one. Number two is I learned some things while attempting to start a fire in our fireplace this week. And it reminded me of real estate entrepreneurship. So I had two approaches. First off, I'm not a very handy guy. So let's just put that out there. Like, I'm not someone you want to go to the woods and be stranded in the woods with. We would be in trouble. So I attempted to start a fire initially with a fire starter log and some couple other logs and then just some newspaper. So I like the starter log, put the logs on top, and then it wasn't going very much. And these big fat logs that I had, which were wet from outside, weren't catching fire. Imagine that. So I took a newspaper and I put it over the top of it. Didn't rip it at all. Just put it over the top of it and lit it and boom, lots of fire. And it was burning red hot, but then it always fizzled out. And I did it again and then it fizzled out. And then I did it again and fizzled out. And I was like, wait a second, this is not working. So then I took the fire starter log, kept it, had some logs on top, and then put little sticks down there too, and then got some ads from the newspaper, some toy ads from the newspaper, ripped them in little shreds, put them in there, started the fire. That was working. Then I put some Kleenex in there because I was just grabbing anything that was around (laughs) me, put some Kleenex in there. That wasn't working as much. And I realized it was because I read on the Kleenex box later that the Kleenex had lotion in it. (laughs) So lotion soaked Kleenex doesn't catch fire very easily. But then I put some toilet paper in there and then boom, it was starting to smoke. And I was like, oh, there's some smoke there and this is a good sign. So I started blowing on a little bit and then boom, it caught fire. And what I realized is that this is a metaphor for what I've attempted to do certain times in my business and what the results that took place as a result of it. So for example, I've spoken on the show before where I bought a list of emails from a database in an attempt to grow my email list. And I forget how much I spent. I probably blocked it out of my mind, but I believe 
it was a couple thousand dollars, at least $2,000. I remember it was at least 2000 I think like 2500 And I sent it out to, we'll say 50,000 people. I don't exactly remember how many. The episode I talk about has all the details. But I sent it out to 50,000 people. And do you remember how many people responded and I actually got their emails into my system? Not many. Zero. Zero. <laughs> I got zero emails from buying an email list. And the whole approach was you buy the list and then you email them and then you have them opt into your list. You don't want to just throw them on your list and then email them with your regular people too, because then they'll all blacklist and then your email's screwed. So I needed to have them opt in zero, zero. So I was trying to essentially build my database, my list in the same way I was attempting to build that fire the first time. I was just trying to put the newspaper on top, light it, let's make this happen. Well, there's a lot of fire initially, but then it just fizzled out and it wasn't sustainable. Whereas now we just go slow and steady wins the race, but we learn along the way and build the list the right way through value add content. And we see if there's smoke, then that's likely going to lead to a fire. And then if it's sustainable, built in a sustainable way, then we're going to have a sustainable business or a sustainable fire. And that's what's happened. That's a great analogy. I didn't know we were going to go with that. I thought you were going to end up saying you burned your half down or something. So <laughs> glad it had a good ending. I'm glad it had a good ending too, compared to the scenario that you just described. You do do this. I think it's a positive in that you kind of see something and then you want to try it to see if it works. Now, obviously, I understand that the email list was kind of a dud, but you wouldn't have known if it would have worked or not without actually trying it. I guess you technically could have looked it up beforehand and see who used that email list before. But I do think it's a balance because you don't want to just follow what other people do all the time or like follow a well-trodden path, as they say. And I know you do do that. Like, for example, I mean, you sent me all those pictures this weekend for the book we're going to work on. Like that's something that's unique and new and something we're going to try and just kind of see what happens. Like we don't know if it's going to be successful or not. And kind of while you were talking, I was thinking, okay, so you try new things, maybe nine of them don't work and then one does work, but the positive benefits of that one far outweigh the negative consequences of that nine. And I was thinking back to when I first got into real estate, I was you in the fire throwing Kleenex with lotion inside of it. And I had so many problems and it was a complete disaster. And I got rid of the property after a year and didn't buy real estate again for a couple of years. But because I just got into real estate in the first place through that terrible experience is the reason why I bought them today and the reason why I'm hopefully going to be syndicating a deal here soon. So I guess it's kind of add on top of that. You mentioned how you learned a lesson from you doing that fire. So I guess the point is, is another example of when bad things happen, trying to pull the good out of it, kind of going back to that 50-50 goals and figuring out, okay, so this horrible thing happened. What were the positive things? Okay, so for me, the horrible thing happened was a year of complete stress of owning real estate, but the positive was I own real estate. And yeah. once you're kind of in the door, you're in the door. And you already know how to buy a property, how to replicate it again in the future. And you've already made all the terrible mistakes that you know won't make again. And you can apply those moving forward. Oh, absolutely. And I agree. It's the process that we follow that is tried and true, but we have to enhance the process and put some unique spins and angles on it along the way. Otherwise, we're not going to have a unique value proposition. And you mentioned the pictures I sent you two nights ago. And just for the listeners, Theo and I 
are in the process of putting an outline together for a book that helps passive investors invest in apartment buildings. So just learning all the aspects of what to look for, how to qualify a general partner, mistakes that investors have made when assessing opportunities, whether they should or shouldn't invest, all that stuff. It's in the very beginning stages. But one thing I did is Colleen and I went to a local bookstore and we looked at books that are all across different genres from how-to books to survival guides to children's books. And we identified certain components or aspects of certain books that we could include in this book that Theo and I are going to write. So I sent him some pictures with some suggestions on how we can incorporate certain things. And that is a tried and true process. And anytime you approach anything, one is have an idea of how you want to do it. So have an outline. Two is research the best practices of others within that field. And then three is make a Frankenstein model based on what your original ideas were and based on what the best practices are and what's some unique components that other people have had, and then put together something like Frankenstein. And you'll be able to have your unique value proposition as well as having some best practices from others that you can replicate and will likely give you similar results. Exactly. And then two other quick things. We'll have a new logo coming out on the podcast And the main difference is it will not have my face on it. That picture is from uh, like four or five years ago. So I've seen some people on TV and then I see them in person and I'm like, wait a second, you're not that same person. I just don't want anyone to have that reaction to me. Now we do this on video and stuff. So people see my face if they want to see my face in more real time, but I figure it'd be better not to have my face on the podcast for that reason. I think it's just better. Plus building a brand. I don't want it to depend just on me. I want to be larger than me. So I thought it was already going to be done by now. We have the logo, but I just looked on our episode yesterday that aired and it's not updated. So sometime in the near future, we're going to have that updated. So you'll see a new cover art for the podcast. So Don't be alarmed. It's a plan. And then lastly, real quick, I cannot and have not beat my nine-month pregnant wife in horse when we play basketball the last five times. But I can beat a 10-year-old boy who wanted to play with us randomly. I did beat him in horse. So my basketball skills are somewhere between losing to a nine-month pregnant woman and beating a 10-year-old boy in horse, just giving everyone an update there. Did she play basketball? Like in She did not, which is more insult to injury. But she's very athletic. Okay. No, she did not play basketball. She played softball. Because I'm pretty because you beat me in horse a couple of times too. So I know. I know. She's a sharpshooter with yeah, the mid range. All right, what else? So I'm gonna do what you did this week. So for the next week I'm gonna write down one thing I learned every day. And hopefully I've got some stories as good as yours about getting beaten basketball and almost turning my house down. <laughs> So just to wrap up, as we mentioned last week, we are hosting the Best Ever Conference round three in Denver in February. So we're going to be on the podcast at the end of the podcast discussing one speaker from the conference. And if you want to see a list of all the speakers, make sure you go to besteverconference.com. Just quickly this week, we're going to mention Frank, Joe's partner, 
will be speaking at the conference, and he is going to be talking about underwriting. Yeah. He'll be doing an in-depth presentation on how to underwrite a value-add multifamily deal. If you're in multifamily, I highly recommend that you attend our conference just, if nothing else, for this presentation because you need it. There's always a way that you can enhance your skill set and underwriting is the foundation of what we do. Got to have the right assumptions going into it. Otherwise, you'll be behind the eight ball the entire time you own the property. Yes, I'm very excited for Frank's talk. That's going to be my thing I'm looking forward to most because you guys have done over $400 million and he's underwritten probably 10 times that many deals because every deal you underwrite, you buy. So if he's very experienced underwriter, I'm looking forward to learning some trick from him. So again, that's at besteverconference.com. And then lastly, we're going to read a review of the week for the best ever apartment syndication book. This week's review comes from R. McKenz One. And they said, this is the definitive guide to the apartment syndication process end to end. Joe leaves no stone unturned. And where other guys fall short, he delivers. And that not only does he describe each step of the process, but also the how-to. I find he anticipated my next series of questions before I even asked them in my head. Excellent resource. Well, thank you. And that's exactly what we were attempting to do, is focus on the how-to of the business and anticipate questions that would be asked and then proactively address them in the book. That's also why, Theo, you're doing syndication school Mm -hmm. is so that we can focus on the how-to of how to do syndication so that others can not only know the concepts, but get really deep and specific about how to do what we do. Good stuff. Well, thanks for that review. Enjoyed our conversation. Learned a lot and talk to everyone tomorrow. Do you need debt for your deal, equity for your deal, or maybe a loan guarantor to help you get qualified for the financing? Talk to Mark Belsky. His number is 212-897-9875. That's 212-897-9875. His email is mbelsky at Eastern eq.com feeling lost on your roadmap to wealth tune in to the newly launched rei foundation podcast where hosts jason and peely give you all the steps and missteps towards achieving your investing dreams featuring interviews from top industry professionals make sure you listen and subscribe to rei foundation podcast at the rei foundation.libson.com